with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, afternoon, morning, wherever you are. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host. And with me is the gold standard in ghost hunting, the most honorable Steve Parsons. Good you evening. Are, you are honorable, aren't you? No, no. Okay. <clears throat> you are. You have a... You have a Scottish lordship. A Scottish what? Don't you have a Scottish lordship? That's no. I have a. I have a. a English lordship. Uh, How? Don't insult me, please. I'm sure Stephen Scott wouldn't be insulted. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> anyway, CUS is uh, doing all right, huh? In the, in the World Cup. Uh, well, they're doing better than Wales. <laughs> Yes, an Englishman in, a, in in Wales yesterday. It was it was a difficult position. Mm. Yeah, it's sad. <laughs> I guess. No, I wasn't sad. No. Well, I'm English. Yeah, but you're <laughs> also honest, in to Wales too. Well, it, yeah, but your children honest, are half Welsh. Welsh. They don't care. And to be honest, nor do I. Um, I've never been interested in soccer, football. Indeed. Me neither. So, frankly, you know, 11 grown men running around a field kicking a ball. My idea of hell. Yeah, especially when they go for a whole freaking game and it's 0 0 or 1 nothing. It's like, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> like well. Watching Patriot. <clears throat> there you go. No, ah, I've been a, go I've been, go I was just going to say, and I've been a very busy boy all week. Um, as you know, I'm now the training officer for the. ASAP, the association yeah. for the yeah, the, the British organisation founded in 1981, mm-hmm. um, the third of the the big three in effect. Uh, that's the Society for Psychical Research, the Ghost Club, and ASAP, and they generously uh, elected me as their training officer, and um, gave me the task of revamping their training. Um, <laughs> it was. I, I know you told me that the other day, and and I was kind of thinking about it. It's like, mm. well, what, what the hell are you actually <laughs> doing? I mean, <clears throat> you, you're, I, I don't understand. I mean, we, we are developing a program. I mean, yeah, it's not like ghosts exist that we know that they exist. Or, no, no, but but, but as you, is, well, go ahead. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's not dissimilar to your paranormal CSI. Uh, okay. Members members join ASAP, yeah. and some of them want to learn more about the actual process of field investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, or they may be experienced investigators just wanting to upskill, reskill, um, refresh their skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that. Although, interestingly, you said the point. That, uh, 
ASAP does have a program which it's instituting, I think reinstituting next year, um, where you can actually gain a professional recognised qualification. As what? Um, as a paranormal investigator. Now, oh, I I have some reservations about it, but mm-hmm. nevertheless, I mean, this course, this qualification uh, predates my um, time in ASAP mm-hmm. and uh, it exists. And if if it encourages and promotes good practice, then it can only be a good thing. Yeah, but, it, it, but Steve, it's a double-edged sword. I was, yeah, I was going to say that too because I was thinking of the same way you were. And yeah, uh, I, I looked at it both ways. But you at least, when you do a program, and correct me, please correct me if you're, I'm wrong. When you do a program like any of the programs you do, whether it's for SPR or SF or uh, <coughs> the Ghost Club, you you're really looking at procedures rather than uh, yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's entirely procedure based protocols, methods and ethics rather than uh, and of course, evaluating the re, the re, um, the any data that you gather uh, mm-hmm. and and of course, measuring it, measuring stuff properly. Because right. if you get so it is very, very orientated towards the methodology because you can't study the phenomena. Uh, directly, you know, we can't put a ghost under a microscope. Or we can't. <laughs> We can't dissect it and we can't, you know, study it. So all we can do is promote the best possible practice and the best possible data analysis and data gathering in order to try to understand the phenomena better. Because the problem is, as we both know, you have a lot of uh, chaos where you have thousands of competing ideas, beliefs, notions, equipment, uh, items of equipment, all making disparate and sometimes bizarre claims about their, what their capabilities are. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is no, there is nothing to uh, provide an antidote to that. You know, you see guys with their paranormal boxes, uh, you know, adorned with lights and crystals and guitar effects pedals and all sorts of other stuff, apparently communicating with spirit. And you have people who who subscribe to that. And you have people who order those devices and often they can be very expensive. Likewise, you have people selling steampunk music boxes and Mm. coffins and all manner of other gadgets designed or claiming that they promote spirit communication. You do see the irony in it, though, that you're you're developing a program to investigate something that we have no proof of even existence. Oh, yeah. So it's it's so bizarre. We don't have proof that the phenomena exists, but we do have, well, we do have proof that a phenomena exists. A phenomena, phenomena. yeah, a phenomena, yeah. And that phenomena is the reporting of the human experiences. People, people, you know, they make the claims that they have. And these, these claims have go right the way back to the dawn of mankind. People have seen, heard, smelled, 
interacted with ghosts. Mm-hmm. But we don't know what that phenomena is. And this multi-directional scattergun approach that's been adopted in the last 30 or 40 years, and it's very unscientific, is not likely to ever challenge that position or extend our knowledge. Because if the music box goes off, there could be 101 reasons why the music box went off. Especially if you don't know the science behind (laughs) the... uh... Not, not the science. Exactly. It's, it's another and, word well, for it. Well, it's, the reasons that could make it go yeah, off, reasons, them, all exactly. 101 of them. Um, and that therein lies the problem, because we need to, if the device goes off because the spirit made it go off, to reach that conclusion, we have to eliminate all of the, po- all of the other possibilities. Mm-hmm. And you can only do that by a, by a process of careful elimination and good methodology. Agreed. And so that, that's what the courses are designed to teach. Okay. And the, 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 there is a double-edged sword, um, and that is, and this is a problem that I had to address very early on, both with SPR training and with ASAP training, and that is accreditation, because what, oh, you, yeah. don't want, what you don't want to end up doing and it does happen, is have people running around, knocking on people's doors, saying, I am a blah, blah, a train, trained and accredited professional According investor. According to the SPR or, or the... Exactly. SPR. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to give those people that have undergone the training a goal, something to aim for. Mm-hmm. And so that has been, uh, that was addressed very early on within the training program. Um, that there will be goals, but that that person cannot then run around saying, hey, I am a qualified trained investigator and I represent this organization. Ah. So you can't have people pinning their badges to their websites or, or to their... Well, they will. You can't physically stop them. Right. But you can at least... Um, put into place some degree of control um, whereby you can say you do not represent us and these people cannot be representative of us. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was that. And then today I've been working on a project um, for several months now, working with a Dutch engineer. Oh, sweet. Um, Does he speak English? He does very, he speaks very good English. Most people in the world speak better English than me, you know that. (laughs) Well, the aim of that project was to try and develop a means of something that was small and portable and could be tuned to match the, uh, when you, when you buy a K2 meter, when you buy an ELF meter, when you buy a MEL meter, Mm -hmm. whatever whatever type of EMF meter you're using, you have no idea of knowing what is triggering the EMF meter because the meter itself won't tell you. It will only tell you how much of a signal it is receiving and you yeah. need frequency information. And often that the, the, the source, the cause of the flickering lights or the signal or the indication on the meter 
is actually fairly mundane. But you've got no way of proving it or knowing it with the devices um, that are available. Mm -hmm. And so I was working to try and obtain a uh, very small, highly portable spectrum analyzer. Oh, nice. That you could just put on and glance at, or, or you can you can set the frequencies of the scan, and it will look, you know, at that range of frequencies, and it will tell you if it picks up a signal on any of those uh, frequencies and what the exact frequency and its amplitude is. That's excellent. I, but you know, just I wanted to once one more comment on on the uh, certification thing. I I, I ran yeah. into a, a similar problem when I was teaching the course at, at mm -hmm. Northern Essex. Is that if they completed what they had to complete, uh, then you had to give them something, or they wanted right. something for it. So we, we basically just gave them a certification of completion. In other words, they completed yeah. that they completed the course. That's all we could do. We we really. That's that's essentially what we've done. Yeah. Um, to say right. that the person has undertaken the course and that they have successfully completed the requirements of the course. Okay, good. Now back to your thing. I'm sorry. I just wanted to get that in before I forgot. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, uh, so I've received the the developed prototype. I've mm -hmm. been testing it during the day, and it seems to be up to specification. Um, and those specifications mean it has to be, you know, relatable to known signals. Um, so if you put X input, it will it will show that. Um, so, it, you know, you can rely on the information it's being shown. And frequency wise, it's well, it's within one decibel uh, of amplitude mm -hmm. and within less than one percent of a. Hertz, uh, sorry, um, less than one percent of a uh, ten hertz frequency. Is is this something that would be available to everybody? Is it going to be manufactured, or, or what the what what is the the, the thought well, behind well, it? Well, well, currently um, there is only the prototype. Uh, mm -hmm. It may, if it works, be available, mm -hmm. but that's subject to all manner of other things because these things cost, but. If yeah, it no, does, if it yeah. does become available, then the cost will not exceed a hundred dollars. No, that's reasonable. You figure you spend that for a cheap EDI meter. Well, the, the idea is that you would put, you would, you know, you would use your ghost meter or whatever, mm -hmm. your EMF meter, and if you were getting signals, then you would uh, use this other meter, the spectrum analyzer, and say what signals are present at a level that would trigger the meter and it will now, show you when you say what display what, what, what is this showing it's not showing it's not giving you for instance it doesn't have a a map it doesn't have a uh, a source of, no you don't need that because we're blessed with the most regulated radio system uh, airwaves of you know the planet to an intelligent uh, person well all you've got to do is go to either the um American, what is it, the Federal Communications Agency, or over here you've got Ofcom, mm -hmm. and you type the frequency in, it'll tell you exactly where in the world that transmitter is. Ah, that's pretty cool. 
So that's all the information you need. And you can add in, uh, you know, uh, frequencies between X and Y. So if, which allows for that margin of error. So those websites have existed for, for well, since World War II. Uh, not the websites, but right. But see, but there lies the problem, Steve. Is that who who actually knows of this? Who, what what person well, well, that's running around on Facebook actually <laughs> knows of this? Well, it's it, it's surprising actually. Every radio ham would know it. Um, because yes, but that's someone who's specifically dealing with a specific thing. Well, but you know, a, a normal paranormal investigator. Well, they, would, up until would, up, and, up until you know the advent of um, you see at the moment. There is no no need no necessity for them to know it because uh, they have all the meters deny them the crucial DNA of the electromagnetic signal. Yeah, right. um, and that DNA is its frequency. It's it's its absolute fingerprint. If you know the frequency, you can pinpoint the exact transmitter. It is that tightly regulated. Pirates being the exception, of course, there are pirate radio stations. Um, but if you know the source, uh, the frequency, you absolutely know the source. You are, um, you know, ninety nine point nine percent accurate with. So if I if I if I picked up a signal of ninety nine point one megahertz here in West Wales, I would type that and I would type in my location. Um, you know, the system knows how far we can receive that. And it will uh, and it will say these are the transmitters that are. First of all, this is a list of all the transmitters. In the world that are using that frequency, these are where they are and what they are. So FM broadcast and blah, blah, blah. And the ones that are and it will then rank, which is the nearest, which is the most likely. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. But radio ha radio hams have been using that information for years because the frequency is something that they depend on and rely upon. Right. But ghost investigators have never had frequency information. They've never had uh, equipment. That, well, they have, uh, but it's it, it's usually incredibly expensive, and only a handful of groups in the world probably have it um, equipment that can tell them the frequency. But with modern technology improving day on day, it may even be possible uh, in a year, 18 months, to develop an app that can do this. Ah, for your phone. And allow the smartphone to do most of the computer power, computing power. You're a big advocate of the smartphone, aren't you? Well, it, it, it's an incredibly powerful computer. Uh, I'm not an advocate of many of the apps. Um, I've had two designed specifically for the phone, um, which helped me. Mm -hmm. Because it is an incredibly powerful computer that can have, you can connect almost any device that you, know, that you care to measure can be connected to it, um, you know, via the, the port on the bottom. It's that simple or via nowadays wirelessly. And, you know, it's so powerful, it, you know, it's it, it's like carrying a, you know, a full full size computer in your pocket three or four years ago. 
not 30 or 40 years ago. This isn't, you know, oh, the computer in your phone could, you know, is bigger than the one that took man to the moon. It's orders, it's orders of magnitude more capable than that. It's interesting. And so... And it means we don't have to carry huge kit bags around anymore. You've got... You've got uh, what's the point cap- of that? <laughs> well, you have, in, inside your phone, you have a very powerful video camera, mm-hmm. a very capable uh, ordinary camera. You have a magnetometer that can measure, you know, accurately and to a recognized standard magnetic fields and electromagnetism. You have motion sensors, light sensors, barometers, LIDAR sensors, all built into this one package. And at the moment, most ghost hunters are using it for a ghost radar. Yeah. <laughs> It makes no sense at all. It's like having a Maserati and then put your kids in it and push them to school. Or grow flowers in it. So that's what you're working on. You, you are work developing. Uh, now, are you developing for all three or, or just, just specifically you're dealing with one now or, or the others? Or you've already done the field notes for uh, the SPR and the... Uh, well, it, all the organizations are now, uh, I, I think, fully on board using the same set of guidance notes. Oh, they are. So okay. that is that is a big step forward because now we have a unified plan, um, of, you know, laid out. These are they're not they're not instructions that you must slavishly follow, but they are guidance for best practice. Mm-hmm. So they are they will influence investigators and help them to obtain the best results from their investigation. And to understand too, right, what they're doing. And hopefully to understand. I mean, they are notes for guidance so that they don't go into a great deal of depth on the whys, um, but they give you directions on where to seek that information. And of course, Ghostology, the book, which does you know does provide the information the why and wherefores mm-hmm. intriguing yeah it's 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 all interesting stuff and you know i when you i saw your message earlier today about you doing the notes and then i said well that's that's kind of interesting so ironic because of what you're supposedly looking for and yet you're developing <laughs> a course that's Going to well, I mean, you've got to be pragmatic about it. You know, mm-hmm. I still, I still maintain in my lifetime that we'll, we won't be that much further forward. Um, but perhaps if we start looking in the right way, we might start filling in some of the missing blocks. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. Like I said, it's, I think it's incredibly it difficult yeah. because you're not going to change people um, quickly. In fact, you're probably not going to change many people at all. Any change is going to be slow and incremental. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, you know, it will, it, it will, it must change um, as people themselves, you know, once they've tried their mel meters and once they've tried their boxes and once they've tried their music boxes, they will realize, they will, you know, the light will go on and they will, you know, it must at some point eventually start to realize these things are not working. And it, you can see that progression with EMF meters already. 
you know, when they first came out, they were the universal panacea. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. You know, then they discovered that actually they're not ghost detectors. Then they tried communication via the EMF meter. Then mm-hmm. that fell out of favor. Um, you know, so you can see this this process of discovery as people tr- expend money and try these devices. You know, what's funny, Steve, though, is is that they have all these devices, and and I've spoken to a lot of different uh, ghost hunters or paranormal investigators, and they and I ask them, you know, you know, what do you use for equipment? And there seems to be here in the states a trend said, well, we're going back to the basics. We're going back yeah. to, you yeah. know. The basics, by the way, also includes, you know, dowsing. And, well, it, it uh, is. Yeah. When they talk about back to, back to basics, they're talking about going back to the spiritualist ideas. Of, yes. Of, you know, of dowsing for it and whatever else that entails, using mm-hmm. your five senses. And that's something I've always advocated. Um, but the reason that's driving, you know, this trend in going back to basics go is a disillusionment, disenchantment with the equipment because it, they're seeing it, it's very expensive and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, well, we don't want to throw more more hundreds of dollars at another magic box. So let's go back and try crystals, pendulums, um, you know, the old mediumship methods. Mm-hmm. themselves proved unsuccessful in the past so you know it's like a hamster wheel it just goes round and round and round yeah i mean we when in the past too we did have certain results with these spiritualist methods oh, yeah we did interesting but results in some cases it's yeah interesting but you know not enough to uh you know advance that as as like a a no, uh, but you know after the break um, you know, we nobody or very few people have tried combining the two, i.e. looking scientifically at the mediumship other than within the laboratory. Right. Which is true. So maybe maybe we need to explore these methods and what underlies them, but in the chaotic world of the haunted house. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what I'm I'm trying to understand in, in the red light science is trying to understand how these if they work how do they work and and it you know are the results you know can you prove the results that you re- review so but anyways we got to come up to the break you're listening to uh, ghost chronicles uh, international right here with steve parson and ron Pollock on toji net uh brought to you by our very good friends on uh ghost chronicles radio patreon ghost chronicles radio join three bucks a month and you get access to over 40 videos uh and also Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street, Durham, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North End, Dover, Massachusetts. And uh, if you're looking for a good podcast business, see our friends at Tojinet as well. Anyways, we've got to take a break, and we'll be back in a little bit. Till then. Ta-ta.
Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978 978- Four five five six six seven eight. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky. The Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal. The Parrax family. They're strange, deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Contrary to reports that you may have heard at the end of the first half of tonight's show, our demise is not imminent. We're back to the second half with uh, New England's own Van Helsing and the gold standard. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to feel sorry for... uh, Everyone who just turned off. Yeah, the the poor royals, uh, they dragged them out here to address the crowd here in Boston because they're here looking about the... uh, Greenpeace or was or whatever. And uh, so uh, they had to listen to the freaking politicians yak before they introduced them and they say they have five minute piece. What a waste. That was like those poor people standing out in the rain for so our politicians can talk. I was embarrassed. Well, I'm sure the royals are used to it. Mm. How did they go down in Boston anyway? Did anybody uh, offer them a cup of tea? <laughs> they should have. I found something interesting, though, about them. Uh, there's this woman who went on a canoeing trip in 1992 in the Saco River up in Maine. And there was a little boy there with them. And it turned out to be Prince William uh, with his bodyguard. Well, he, had, he had gone to school with uh, one of the friends of theirs and who was in, involved in this trip. And uh, so he was invited. But no Diana, no no Charles. Uh, just uh, William and the bodyguard. He was like 10 years old at the time. It was pretty cool. I saw the, the photos for it and everything. So, Well, both princes, Harry and William, had a, a relatively, I was going to say, for a member of the royal family, the Prince mm-hmm. of Wales, uh, normal childhood. Well, that's cool. Uh, as normal as as is possible, given their positions. Oh, yeah. Um. You know, they, so they, they're not exactly cosseted. You know, uh, both of them have been active duty military. Um, yeah. I can be credit for that, yeah. Um, you know, including frontline operations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the royal family has got a long history going all the way, you know, going right the way back to active duty. So that's, oh, sure. 
So that's something that they've both experienced. Both of them are, you know, fairly normal um, in in regards day to day. You know, they're not prissy. If you shake their hand, they will hold a normal conversation with you um, on a range of subjects. So, you know, but as regards to having to sit there in the pouring rain and listen to politicians, well, I guess that kind of goes with the job. I guess. But uh, that's what that's, you know, being in the military service to me, I have great respect for that, because like even in our presidential, I, I would always vote for someone who was in the military service because, uh, you know, here in the United States, he's the commander in chief. So he's the one that sends our boys to war and, and a lot of times to the their depths. So at least he has a, a feeling of, of what he's doing. He, he's been there, done that, or she, if it ever becomes a she. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's that's one thing I've always took into account when I voted for a president, uh, someone who has been the war or in the military, at least experienced uh, that part of it anyway. So anyway. Moving right along, I'm sorry. Uh, you, you were that's fine because you know, uh, in addition to active duty, a lot of the royals have seen ghosts and have that's had right. experiences of the paranormal. Bringing it back on topic, including um, King George V when he was Prince of Wales. Yep. Um, when he had a sighting, he not just him but fourteen crewmates at the same time. Um, witnessed the Flying Dutchman mm-hmm. or something that there was called the Flying Dutchman. Um, and of course, there are there are innumerable stories which the royal family have never confirmed nor denied of individual members of the royal family uh, actually witnessing ghosts within the royal palaces. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever given if, if people who have heard that uh, Steve's talk here in the States, then have you given it over there yet? Or, are you intend to? No, no, uh, no. That's one that was one purely for America. Um, oh God, you should. That was a it was a great talk. We got a lot. You got a lot of nice reviews from uh, all over yeah. the world when you did it on Zoom. Um, I think that I mean, I think there were people here in the UK that tuned in for it. Oh, I'm uh, sure there was. But it, it's not one that, you know, it was it was kind of thrown together at the last minute because that was of, an excellent job though steve it really was because of the death of queen elizabeth mm-hmm. uh, it seemed apropos to do it you know to discuss king charles mm-hmm. um we're getting it it's getting easier for us to say it now we don't make the, the old slip-ups that we many of us used to do that's hard isn't it? <laughs> it, it it's getting easier mm. um, it's in fact the first coins have now appeared with yep. King Charles's um, no crown, no crown, mm-hmm. but that's that's normal. I mean, that was started by um, yeah. Well, right the way back to George the first, second, third. Uh, there hasn't been a, uh, a male crowned monarch on represented on a coin. Yeah, that, for, was, that was a big deal here in the states. Years ago. <laughs> well, for two hundred and fifty years, the male yeah. the, the kings don't wear uh, any form of. Uh, Headdress, ordinarily, I mean, there have been special commemorative coins mm-hmm. um, that do bear a crown. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, the the king is represented bareheaded. And that, you know, that the tradition that goes back at least to George I right. And you know, beyond that, actually. 
the you know you talked about uh, John C and the Flying Dutchman. I mean, I have been doing more and more research into sea serpents and sea monsters, and and then of course I came across the the one on uh, that I asked you about was it Matak Mat Mogal? Yeah, Mogal. Thank you. In Cornwall, which seems to be a lot of uh, information on that that I've been able to dig up, and uh, also how the townspeople in uh, Cornwall had killed a, uh, a sea serpent and used the oil from it to uh, light lights and stuff. And uh, but even uh, the USS Daedalus, I mean not USS HMS Daedalus, Daedalus, yeah. Which is yeah. another compelling story. I mean, there's so much going out there now. That well, you know, we've, really we've talked about it. this many times. And one, one of the things that is common uh, between the American eastern seaboard and the western facing coast of um, Europe, particularly Britain, because we are, you know, on the west coast of mm-hmm. Europe, the mainland, is our propensity of uh sea monsters and sea serpents mm-hmm. uh, now it's it's been speculated that this is actually a common population within the atlantic that just occasionally rock up in the coastal waters both sides of the atlantic um of some unknown species um because there are so many similarities i know when that's a tricky thing about when, when i was reading of mogawa um i'm sure i'm not saying that right but I know I wasn't. <laughs> I know you weren't. And I'm not entirely. It's it's similar to Welsh, so I'm using the Welsh ver, version of how to say that word. M a m o r g a w r. So in Wales, that would be Morgawa or Morgar. Okay. Um, and Cornish and Welsh are quite related languages. The Cornish uh, dia, uh, national or native variant of the cornish language is very similar to welsh so i'm guessing i'm probably close um but i'm probably crucifying it um you know a lot better than i would my friends there are any cornish people listening um we apologize we apologize (laughs) but you know when you mentioned it today it isn't something that you know i have i have um many books on Mm -hmm. uh you know, obviously she gets a mention um, in one or two of the books, but they're only, you know, a page here and there, um, you know, describing the incident you talked about at Falmouth and others. Mm-hmm. But I was minded of the York um, sea serpent. Okay. Um, up, uh, you know, the, uh, sorry, Gloucester. Oh, Gloucester, yeah. That's what I mean. That's that's what, that's that's what reminded me when I heard about it and yeah, started reading about there it. So like, many oh my similarities. God, it's very similarity. Yes. Yeah. Between the two, that you you know to not think that perhaps it's the same species um, is you know quite a stretch. You know, it isn't. They've they've put tags on on um, whales and sharks and other marine animal large you right. know marine animals and track them backwards and forwards across the atlantic oh yeah and they they take you know a matter of barely you know a week or so to cross the atlantic um so it's not inconceivable that we have you know that the the gloucester uh sea serpent and the falmouth sea serpent are actually kind of the same species 
all when you think about it too, Steve, you look through all the legends and everything, they talk about, you know, legends are legends, but but you talk about some of the descriptions and, and the there, you know, there's very a lot of similarities between all the different reports. There are some that are totally different, I'm not trying to say, but there are very a lot of similarities. So I'm I'm leaning more and more that this this creature actually exists. Or did exist. I still think it does exist if I'm if I'm you know if I'm brutally honest um, because of the the commonality of reports right. now you know they say oh well we haven't got a body but we don't have you know when was the last time a great white shark washed up or a, you know a lot of marine life doesn't a giant float, octopus. well a lot of marine life doesn't float to the surface when it dies it sinks to the bottom when it dies or it's eaten by everything else in the ocean, mm-hmm. you know, including bacteria. Um, so, you know, once it dies, it's not going to be around. Its carcass is not going to be around for very long. So it's not going to, you know, ordinarily wash up. And yet very, very occasionally there have been peculiar creatures that have washed up. And, you know, the biologists have, in some instances, struggled to explain what it is they've speculated it's this or that or the other sometimes they can explain it yeah well, i mean like the the montauk monster was was one that they could explain and yet even even today it's still put down as an unknown mm-hmm. um even even you know disregard because p- the news reporters often disregard the explanations um but there is a small smattering of uh, bits of animal, the remains and carcasses that do appear on our beaches, and it, you know, even if these things do wash up from time to time, you know, after an Atlantic storm or a northeaster off your coast, they ain't going to be there for long before the water takes them back in again. Right. So you know, you're relying on somebody being there in the right place at the right time. Who uh, knows what they're doing? For the brief, you know, few hours that that whatever it is, is is washed ashore before the ocean reclaims it again. I mean, we just just today I saw, uh, you know, they discovered two new species of fish, a batfish, and I forget what the other one was, but they had never been seen before, never been discovered before, but they found two new species of fish. Uh, so, you know, it, it, to me, of all the cryptoids, I think this one is, is the best chance of, Oh, I, I I think that you know at some point we will we will um, make that discovery that there will be some uh, there are still you know unknown large species mm-hmm. swimming around in our oceans. But interestingly, you talk about unknowns and, and new fishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this 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 past month, scientists have um, discovered three new minerals. Yeah, I saw. Ele- what was it? Wait a minute. Wasn't there a new element to discover it? Um, well, they're speculating that one of them might be an element rather than a mineral. Okay, um, yeah, because I only saw it briefly. I didn't really get into two, the details. Two, two of them turned up in a meteorite. Yes. Um, and the third one had been re- had been acknowledged about a month previous to that uh, uh-huh. in a in a different. I can't remember the details of the third one of the third mineral. But there have been now three new minerals added, and now scientists are speculating that they've always known that there are gaps in the periodic table, that right. there should be things in, um, you know, there are spaces in the periodic table. 
um, where there are missing elements. And so they're now speculating that perhaps we need to broaden our search uh, beyond the Earth um, and and seek these missing elements. I, I, you know, I, I think that'll happen eventually when we, when we do travel into space, if we don't destroy the world before then. Uh, but, you know, so far, a good success for the, the American yeah. rocket that went up there. And I'm excited to see if it's going to land properly as they hold. Well, the flat earthers aren't, are they? Because they've uh, been the sending back astonishing pictures um, of, of the Earth. They're all fakes. The you know that. They're all shot in a studio at Area 54. <laughs> <laughs> but you know all power to nasa they've pulled this one off and it we, um you know i missed the launch unfortunately it was something i really wanted to see but i managed to catch it because it was in the middle of the night here mm-hmm. it's stupid o'clock um mm-hmm. and apparently it was the brightest and loudest launch ever oh, wow. that, that's ever taken place now i remember as a kid uh, always being in awe of the Saturn V rocket, the most powerful machine ever to have been, you know, lifted off the face of the the planet. Uh, but apparently Artemis isn't as powerful, but it's um, louder, faster, brighter. Did you see the pictures from from the Cape? Uh, yes, it, I have. Yeah, where it turned everything into near daylight. It's amazing with the, with the light from the engines. Incredible. It, oddly enough, too, which is is unre- totally unrelated, but it's what, sort the, of not. The mad three men that went out to tighten up the nut on the valve. No, they, <laughs> they, they found a piece of the Challenger just recently. Yes, they did. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, isn't, that, isn't that crazy? It's like, here we go back to space program just about the same time. The fact it was during a time that when I think the first launch that was going to be found, they, they found a piece of it. So Yeah, they yeah. did. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it was a bunch of divers, and it's a fairly big chunk as well um, mm-hmm. of the Challenger. It's about twenty-eight feet by. Yeah, you know, it's it's a big piece of Challenger. Um, it won't help with the picture. The you know the what because they know what happened now. Right. Yeah. But nevertheless, I I don't know if there are plans to recover it. I imagine there will be. I would think so. It will end up um, on display. Smithsonian. Smithsonian. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly, um, they. I don't think. I don't think for one minute they're going to leave it there. Now they know it's there, because yeah. you know somebody. If they don't, somebody else will. Oh sure, they'll be selling <laughs> it on eBay or whatever else. Yeah, there'll be bits of it on eBay by by this time next year. Surprised there isn't already. <laughs> well, yeah. At the moment, well, they could, there's no point in ordering anything off eBay in the UK at the moment because we haven't got a postal service. What? So, uh, yeah, don't be expecting any Christmas cards this year because our postal service is on strike. Really? Yep. Oh. Um, right up to and including Christmas. Seriously? Yep. <laughs> so uh, there's no point in us posting anything and we're probably not going to receive very much either. What are the, what are the pictures going to do? Don't they get their money in the in the mail or do they get it? They have to go get it. Uh, no, 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 no. It's uh, we have modern banking over here, um, so you know you don't get anything in the mail. Oh, you don't uh, get your checks in the mail. Okay, well, you still no, no. In, in the in the states you still can in a lot of places. You I still, mean, it, yeah. the the main the main th- it doesn't really affect parcel deliveries either because okay. you know um, all of the big 
parcel delivery companies now do not use Royal Mail. Um, you know, so Amazon and blah, 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 they all use the big, you know, well, Amazon have their own, but you've got, yeah. still got the HLU um, and uh, all the others. Um, but ordinary, you know, I don't think there'll be many Christmas cards being sent or received this year in the UK. Or no, from the UK. Um, simply because, well, that requires the Royal Mail. And they ain't playing at the moment because they are on strike because the wages, they, the pay rise they were offered is a lot lower than the cost of living currently is. Um, and it's probably a similar situation stateside as well. Yeah, we're trying to revert the big railroad strike right now. So that would be yeah. a big deal. But so, I still have I still have Chris, Christmas, card. Christmas card you sent me with the music and the and the uh, London Ferris wheel on it. And, uh, well, I think we're that. putting up our decorations this coming weekend, and always pride of place are the oh, I call them the two doohickeys. The two doohickeys. Um, so they'll be going up in their usual pride of place. There you but, go. But but don't be staring at the mailbox every day because we're not even going to try this year. There's no point. Yeah, makes sense. You know, we looked at other options as well for, you know, can we get stuff out? And how much is it? Because, you know, DHL and mm. UPS do deliver ordinary letter-sized packages and parcels, but they've got a monopoly on it, haven't they? Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I don't understand this. You can order. I ordered some some connectors from China, electrical mm -hmm. connectors from China for a... Um, a project and they, they it costs uh one pound 98 pence and that included shipping from china now what yep you um, know what it cost them for me to get that stupid connector i sent you yep one pound 98 to buy the item and have it shipped from china and it took eight days now one of them was defective oh no so i contacted the the supplier and they said yeah um send it back and we'll refund you mm -hmm. so i you know it was amazon so i didn't need to but just just out of curiosity i i put the details in for fedex mm -hmm. and the others they wanted forty-eight pounds. <laughs> now, how can the Chinese send them out for one pound ninety-eight, including the item itself and shipping? But FedEx want forty pounds to send one back. <clears throat> Amazing. In the end, you know, Amazon being Amazon, they refunded me the same day and said, "Keep it." Mm. So it's broken. Don't bother sending it back. Yeah, it's not worth it to them, to be honest with you. No. So, um, but it's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre how how that situation, I mean, you know, it shouldn't cost three or four pounds to send a letter to America or to send a package to America or to Europe. Right. But it does. It's It's truly crazy. It would be, you know, it used to be said, in fact, there was, uh, didn't the U.S. Institute, U.S. Postal Service Institute a law that said you, you can't mail your kids across um, the, the country? 
Did they because, really? Because back in the 1930s, people were putting their children into, um, you know, male trunks. What? Yep. They were packing them. It happened on at least three occasions that are documented <clears throat> where parents were sending their child from, say, oh, I'm Chicago. Check it out. People were sending their children from, say, Chicago to Los Angeles or San Francisco using the mail, using the uh, as freight. And so the USPS actually put in um, a stipulation that you can't post people. Check it out. You'll find them right. It was actually done in the 1930s. Unbelievable. Um, if I remember rightly, and, you know, be the first to correct me after you've Googled it, but I think it was a woman in Chicago or a, a person in Chicago mailed her son across the United States. Um, and it was successfully delivered. <laughs> And then others, you know, sort of got an idea that this might work. <laughs> so inevitably, a law was passed that you can't mail your children or indeed anybody else. In the 1930s? I believe it was the 1930s or, or early 40s. It was All before right. World War II. Okay, so... We only ever mail and see what, that, what Google says. I know it's right because it's in one of those books on the shelf. You know those. Um, there you go, facts. kid. There you go. Uh, the Washington Post: A brief history of kids sent to the U.S. Postal Service. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the first known case was in 1913 when an Ohio oh. couple paid. 15 cents to ship their 10 pound <laughs> infant to their grandmothers. <laughs> I didn't oh, know my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Take someone from the UK to tell me this happened in our wonderful country. <laughs> oh, that's too funny, Steve. Uh, thanks for sharing me with that. That, that is going to show up on the morning show somewhere. <laughs> that is too funny. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to talk now <laughs> oh that's 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 a riot it shows innovation though doesn't it you know it, oh yeah the, yeah there is a system you know hey it's 20 dollars to send him in a seat we'll put him in a box with some food and water and we'll just mail him a few holes hopefully <laughs> <You can breathe. laughs> yeah but as the story tells he he arrived safe and well that is i, I that that is unbelievable <laughs> and that's but true that's on a reputable that's on but a there is actually now though. there is the u.s has a law that prevents you doing it yeah i think so too so uh unfortunately uh well it's bad news for dylan because he can't mail himself to savannah and back every <laughs> two or three weeks because he's just got back after his thanksgiving trip and he's headed back that way for christmas is it really apparently so and then they're both headed our side for um february i think um i think to rendezvous with me at the irish uh paracom oh is he speaking no 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 mm. not this time <laughs> <laughs> but you're good brenders <laughs> yeah uh, that's going to be interesting mm -hmm. 
actually, if you had listened to the uh, the uh, the show last week, you would have realized that uh, the special guest on there. Did it listen to the show last week? I know if there wasn't a show last week. It was oh, there good. was. There was. Huh? There was. It was a pre-recorded show. Oh, and guess who was on? Um, would it be our friend in Savannah? No, it would be our friend up there. Who's going to be at the Irish conference? Oh, uh, hang on, which one? Karen O'Keefe. You had him on the show? He was on the show. How did you pull that off? With me and Richard Felix. Huh? (laughs) It was an old one. (laughs) Hey. Very it was an old one, yeah, from 2000 and something way Jesus. back. Jesus, I'm glad I didn't tune into that. I, that put that on, I put that on as a joke for you to, to see it. we got to go actually run out of time so I can Oh, go. fucker. Anyway, yeah, it was funny. Yeah, so, well, you can't hear it. You, it's in the archives. But anyway, we've got to go in 15 seconds. You're listening, you've been listening to the Ghost Chronicles International. Yeah. Steve Parson and Ron Pollock right here on Tojinet, brought to you by our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. Go check it out and uh, join us and become a member of the Didier Society. Also by the Circles of Wisdom, 386 Memorick Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Law Group. Stay tuned for Ghost Chronicles, Next Generation. Good night. God bless. And don't mail your kids. Don't mail your kids. That's too funny. (laughs) Good night. Yeah. Thanks for giving me that. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good lord.